and the word reads, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Father, as we turn to your word, would you make it clear to us? Would you make it uh, work in us so that we might uh, love you, behold you, and seek to be devoted to you in ways that would reflect the grace that has been given to us in Christ? Thank you, God, for your truth. May it continue to work in us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I think you all understand the concept of being filled up. After this, every single person in this room desires to be filled up with lunch, I would imagine. I'm in that boat. A good, one of the greatest, in fact, donuts of all time is known as a Boston cream. It is filled up with cream. Not from Boston, but still. Uh, Your car won't move unless it's filled up. And I think that tells us something about the way that things work in our world, in life. As finite creatures, it takes filling in order for us to be able to do anything. It's true of us. It's true of the things that man makes. It's the way that man is wired. And Paul now focuses his attention on this reality not only in terms of what's true physically, but what is also true of us spiritually. That in the same way that we eat and drink so that we might function properly and do the things that we need to do, the same way you would fill a car with gas so that it would work properly and go where it needs to go, the same way you would fill a donut with cream because that makes it awesome. In those same ways, spiritually, we must be fed, we must be filled up if we are to do anything of profit, of value, as it comes to life. And in being filled up, what Paul prays for here, if we remembered last week, he gave thanks to God for the gospel, a gospel that is at work in these people. And now he transitions and really prays a prayer of petition. He's asking God to continue to do a work amongst these people, understanding that even though he is grateful they've received the gospel, they continuously need to be filled with its truth. That's what Christianity looks like. It isn't turning to Jesus at some point in your life and then going, all right, I've figured it out. I've got nothing else to do. Paul thinks of ministry so different from that. As someone who has come to see Christ and know Christ, and as someone who, whenever you expend energy, you lose energy, then Paul recognizes spiritually you need consistently to be filled up. Those who behold Christ 
are those who will want to commune with Christ regularly. Those who have loved Christ once will want to love him for a lifetime. And Paul's prayer is that this church would not continue or would not cease to continue being fruitful, but instead being filled up in the knowledge and wisdom of God, they would be prepared and empowered to do everything that God has called them to. If we have a main idea for this morning, it's very simple for us, and it's this. Only those who truly know God can truly live for God. Only those who truly know God can truly live for God. And if I were to add anything to that at all, it would be this. And all of that because of God. Those who know God live for God and that because of God. This is Paul's prayer here for this church. It's that as they've received the gospel, they would walk in the gospel. And if they're to walk in the gospel, they will continuously need to receive the gospel. It's that if they're going to live a Christian life, they need to consistently absorb, retain, receive the truth of Christ in his word, by his truth, and by the power of his spirit. Let's look at this prayer in three ways. What Paul prays for for this church in Colossae is exactly what we should all pray for, even for one another. The heart of this prayer, it's something that all of us should desire. This being filled up with the knowledge of God and being filled up so that we would serve God in ways that would honor God, this should be our prayer. And we'll see it in these three ways. One, let's look at the prayer's petition in verse 9. The prayer's petition. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul continues with this theme of knowing God's people and continuously going to God in prayer for them. In other words, when Paul understands that someone has come to faith, he understands that it begs him all the more to go before God in prayer for them. That where there is true faith in Christ, there is true dependency on Christ. Paul believes that, not only for himself, but also for this church. Now, before he gave a, thing, a prayer of thanksgiving, here he makes a petition. He's going to ask God for something. And I want you to know what he asked for. From the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul's prayer for this church, really the prayer for any true church, a prayer that should be consistently the theme of God's people as they depend on Christ and seek to grow in their faith, is that God would continue to work in them, that God would continue to place his truth ever before them, that we would continuously be filled up. Not just with anything, but with knowledge, truth, with right understanding, with facts, as you might say. With knowledge, right? And the knowledge of what? His will. 
that we would come to a deeper place of understanding what it is that God wants, what it is that God is doing, and what it is that God cares about. This, at its very outset, puts all of our prayers into question. Because when we pray, I wonder if you, like me, struggle with this reality, that at the center of your prayer life is often you. It isn't knowing God. It isn't understanding God's will. It's me, 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 me. God, please fix this. God, please help this. God, please uh, change this. God, please uh, do something with that. God, this, God, that, God, the other. Instead of God, in the midst of all things, grow me in the knowledge of your will. Do you pray that way? Do you ask of God that way? Do you follow your master in that way? When in a garden, faced with the reality of a cross that was coming and wrath that was impending upon him, could pray out to God the Father and say, not my will, but yours be done. Is that model your prayer? It's Paul's prayer for this church. And I think that's helpful for us to be reminded of. That when we go to God, absolutely, we can ask God of anything. We can bring all of our cares and burdens before him. But most importantly, what we have in God is God. God isn't looking at our lives like some kind of fixer-upper. You aren't some like cool life that God gets to turn around and make everything hunky-dory. That's not the point of God in you. If that was God, he would be actually a puny God. That would be an insignificant God, a God who always has to change everything because nothing is working according to his purposes. That isn't how God works. A God who always has to change things because you don't like the way they are. It's not how God works. God is sovereign. He's in control. And he orchestrates the good and the bad so that amidst all of it, you would turn to him and ask him, Lord, help me to know in the midst of whatever I might be going through what your will is. When you can face anything in life, the good things that come, successes and relationships and happiness and joy, and when you can even face the bad things in life, a broken family, lost loved ones, diagnosis that you never asked for or cared for, issues financially that put you and your family in trouble. When you can go through either one of those things, knowing that that is God's will and understanding that in God, more than changed situations, you have a changed heart. And more than changed circumstances, you have been given spiritual insight. You'll be able to endure anything that comes your way. That's Paul's prayer for this church that amidst all the things they might be going through, whether it's people coming in trying to distort the gospel, whether it be persecution that they might be receiving for believing the gospel, whether it might be any other kind of hardship or any kind of setback, any joy, any trial, in all of it, their eyes would be set toward receiving knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That phrase there to have this spiritual wisdom spiritual understanding that would be a denial of yourself and that would be a dependency upon god we don't produce that in and of ourselves 
We don't grant to ourselves spiritual wisdom. We, no one can do that for themselves. The gospel is one where we recognize Ephesians 2 is true. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. Thereby, there's nothing we could do to give ourselves this kind of wisdom. Humans can't do that. You need God to grant this to you. And that's why Paul prays this for this church. That amidst whatever they might go through, they might be given the knowledge of God's will with eyes given to them by the Spirit of God to behold what true wisdom and understanding looks like. All that is spiritual is from God. If we are to be spiritual, then we need God and we need to know God as God has made himself known. And so what we're seeing here very clearly is the words of John 1.18 true for us. That if we're going to walk in a way that understands God, if we're going to walk in a truer knowledge of God, if we're going to walk in a wisdom that is of God, we need to look to the way that God has made himself known. And so the first thing for us to understand from this petition is that this prayer, this prayer that you would have knowledge of God's will, that you would grow in spiritual wisdom and in spiritual understanding is a prayer for you to know Christ. That's what this is. John 1.18, no one knows the Father. No one has seen the Father. No one has beheld the Father, but Christ has made him known. Colossians 2, verse 2. Paul's encouragement and desire for this church is that being knit together in love, they would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. If you are to grow in God, you must be close to Jesus. Some of you have forsaken him for far too long. Some of you have walked in foolishness for far too long. Some of you are set in your ways for no reason other than the fact that you are selfish and desirous only of what you care about. And God has stepped in to save you from yourself. Would you receive today the wisdom that comes to us from God on high? And would the prayer of Paul be answered even this afternoon in that you would be given spiritual eyes to behold spiritual wisdom and be granted spiritual understanding so that you would grow in the knowledge of God? That is Paul's prayer. And those of you who have loved Christ, know Christ, Understand Christ. You must never tire of Christ. You don't grow in the knowledge of God by giving yourselves to books and uh, opportunities of just studying basic theology. I mean, those things are really great, but those things apart from Jesus are sending many of people into an eternity of destruction. The basis of your faith, the basis of your knowledge of God, if it exists at all, is Christ. And if you are to grow in a true knowledge of him, give yourself to his son. That's what Paul's prayer is. And as you give yourself to the son of God, your knowledge of God will increase. 
because you are based upon truth. That's the petition that Paul has here. Secondly, let's look at the prayer's purpose. His desire is that you would grow in a right knowledge of God. And if you're going to know God rightly, then you must know his son. And in order to know his son, you need spiritual wisdom and understanding. It is the spirit of God that moves amidst sinners' hearts to transform them so that they would behold God as he is. Why? Right? I feel like that's the key question that we always ask in life. But why? I have three kids at home that ask me every single day, why? Eat that, why? Brush your teeth, why? You need to take a bath, why? Let's go, why? Go to bed, why? And I actually think it's a great question. It's the right question to ask. Why? Why would God do this in our hearts? And why would Paul pray for this for these people? And why would this be important for us? Why does it matter that we're filled with knowledge of his will and that with spiritual wisdom and understanding we would grow to know God? Here's his purpose, verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Father. That's our why. The knowledge of God is not meant for you to sit idle with it. The knowledge of God is not meant for you to simply marvel intellectually about how great God is. The knowledge of God is so that God can demonstrate to the world that he is at work in the hearts of people. And so those who are being filled up with the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding, they are meant to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's as to say, those who claim Christ must then live for Christ. And we've discussed this before. Once you have known Christ and you've understood him in truth, now you give your life to him. You live your life for him. You live in a manner that's worthy of who he is, not because of what it gains you, but because it's a reflection of your gratitude for his grace and his mercy. And such a life is fully pleasing to him. Now I want you to know that there's four ways that Paul makes it clear for us here what that life should look like. A a worthy walk, what does that look like? How can I live in a way that will demonstrate to God that I am valuing who Christ is? How do I live my life in a way that would demonstrate to God that in truth I understand his son, I understand his grace, and I love him? There's four ways that Paul communicates this to us here. Number one, Be fruitful. Bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. There's not rocket science to that. It's simply that those who know God will bear fruit with that knowledge of God. Those who understand God will demonstrate it by doing works for Christ. 
that when you know Christ, that will in you produce a lifestyle, a desire to live in a way that would reflect the glory of Jesus. You're fruitful. Number two, be humble. You bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now you might notice there, we're kind of circling back to where we began. Paul prays that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Okay, and so now we walk in a manner worthy and we're to increase in the knowledge of God. That's what we already said. And that's a helpful reminder to us. Because at any point that any Christian comes to a place of thinking that they've arrived spiritually, that Christian is in danger. You have never arrived and you will never arrive, not on this side of heaven. And in so far as we have breath in our lungs on this earth, our desire is to continue growing in the knowledge of God. If you think you've got it figured out and put together, you're wrong. What Paul prays for is that this church would be filled up and continuously filled up. And so be humble. Don't think you've got it all figured out. Bear fruit in every good work and continue to give yourself to knowing God. That comes from reading his word. That comes from marveling at his grace. That comes from fellowshipping with God's people. Can I say this too? It comes from asking great questions. When you don't know something about God, when you don't understand something about God, don't keep it to yourself. Ask and ask those who understand God and who know God in truth. The world would love to answer those questions for you. And all I'm here to tell you is we would rather answer that for you. God's people exist to help one another as we grow in the knowledge of God and bear fruit in that knowledge. Be fruitful. Be humble. Thirdly, be dependent. Be dependent. If this started by grace, it will end by grace. And so we look to live a life that bears fruit and increases in the knowledge of God. But notice verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Being strengthened. That's a passive tense which is good news for me and you. It means that all of our strength is not necessary, but all of his strength is. It means that you need to stop trying and you need to start depending. It means you can stop making yourself look good and you can let God be glorious. Being strengthened. Be dependent upon the grace that saved you that also sanctifies you and will continue to grow you unto loving God in truth and living for him in every aspect of your life. Be dependent, being strengthened by his power according to his glorious might. Two things that are being explained to us here. One, we're to be strengthened by the power of God. And when we think of power, we're thinking simply of all the potential effort and exertion of force that God is able to give. That's what we mean. 
We mean God's ability. That's what it points to. It means that God is strong enough. God is strong enough according to his glorious might. Now, might is another word sometimes for power, but there is a difference that Paul is making. If we're depending on God because he has the ability to work this out in us, we're depending upon that ability based upon God's might. Another way to put it is this. God has the ability and God also has the authority. That's the point that Paul is making. And so when we depend on God to be strengthened, it's because he can and because he chooses to. It's because he's able and because he wants to. It's up to God to work in us. And that's the mystery of grace is that God has chosen to do so. And so as we depend on him, absolutely, we're depending on the one who is all powerful. But we're also depending on the one who, because he is so glorious, has chosen to work amongst sinners. If you don't marvel at that, then you don't understand Christ. That's the beauty of this entire thing. It's the glory of the gospel. It's that God being all powerful and all wise has chosen to strengthen us by changing our hearts so that we might walk in a manner worthy of him. Be fruitful, be humble, be dependent. Fourthly, be grateful. That's what this all moves us toward. Those who bear much fruit do so because they know much of God. And they bear fruit and they know much of God because God is at work in them. And if that's true of you, the only thing that any creature in that position would know to do is to turn to God and give him praise. being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. God's might and power are for us, changing us from the inside out. It's working in us so that we would become what God wants us to be. And when you recognize your unworthiness and you recognize that you don't deserve this, and you recognize that we couldn't get God to do this either. That God is doing this because it's his purpose and it's his plan and it's his will. And you recognize that no one strong-armed God to give us his grace, but he does so because he loves us. You'll turn to him. You'll endure the things that come in this life. You'll be patient amidst all the afflictions and the challenges. You'll take whatever life would bring you because your life is now hidden with Christ. You're not the center of the universe anymore. He is. And so come what may, you will receive everything with joy, giving thanks to the Father. Thanksgiving here, it's a word equated with praise. It's worship. And it's what sinners do when they behold God in truth. It's what every Christian does when they recognize who God is and who we are in light of him. We worship. 
because he's working in us, transforming us, strengthening us so that we could face whatever would come in this life, ultimately to the praise of his glorious grace. This is the prayer's purpose. Thirdly, I want us to see the prayer's praise. If we are to continue to ask, as any good person would with this letter, in most of Paul's letters, they're just an argument that Paul is making to this church. They're a, a discourse that he's having, and that's why you can always ask that question, why? And it's a great question to ask in light of this passage. The prayer's petition is that we would grow in the knowledge of God, that we would be filled up with that knowledge. Why? So that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But what makes God worthy of us walking with Him? What makes it so that we would even want to do this in the first place? Why would you want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Why would you want to grow in the knowledge of Christ? Why would you want to be strengthened by His Spirit and His power and not your own? Why would you want to give Him thanks for anything? Well, it's for the reasons that He ends this passage on. Read with me in verse 12. Here we'll see the prayer's praise. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. That makes Him worthy. That makes Him worthy of being known. That makes Him worthy of you living your life for Him. And that makes him worthy of praise, not just today, not just tomorrow, not just in your lifetime, but for all of eternity. It's that God has moved heaven and earth to make sinners right with him. This is the reason of our praise. He has qualified us to share in that inheritance with the saints in light. You understand what that word qualified means, right? Someday, if not already, you'll go to a job interview. And in that job interview, you'll be very nervous and you won't have nails anymore because you have bitten them all off unless you painted them because you are a woman. And then, in that case, you probably didn't bite them all off because you spent money on that. We can go down that forever. But anyway, you will go to a job interview and you will sit there and the person interviewing you will want to know why it is that you think you deserve to get that job and you will pull out a resume not one that says I want to know you but one that has all of your qualifications on it it'll say at the top I went to school at yada 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 and I had a GPA that was this high or low, and um, I've had these jobs in the past, and I volunteered at these places in the past, and I've done X, Y, and Z. I'm also really good with Word and Excel and PowerPoint and Minecraft, and also I, I know how to uh, pick my nose. Like Whatever it is that will qualify you for that job, whatever it takes to get that job, it needs to be on that sheet of paper, and it needs to come up in that interview for you to get the job. And when it comes to heaven, 
none of us had a resume that matched up to what God was looking for. None of us had anything to boast of in the presence of God that would say, God deserves to let us in. Instead, it took God qualifying us. God set up the resume for us. He sent someone to do the work for us. Instead of looking to us and asking us, why do you think you should get the job? He knows Jesus is worthy of bringing in all those who have believed upon him. We have been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. God has made us worthy. While we could do nothing to save ourselves, God did that for us. It's made known to us in these verses 13 and 14. What is it that he did? Well, he's given us into an inheritance that's built up in light and he's transferred us. He's delivered us. He has liberated us from a domain of darkness and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what qualifies us. What qualifies us is not us. It's his son. And it's not just that he has a son. It's that his son, though dying for us, now lives again. And that beloved son now reigns. He is a king. He isn't like us. He isn't a man who comes and goes and is elected into his position and can be removed when anyone likes. That's not what this king is like. He has risen. He is reigning. And there is no one who will ever take that authority from him, which is good news for us. These verbs in the past tense now change. God qualified us. He delivered us. He transferred us into the kingdom of his ruling and reigning beloved son. And because this king rules and reigns forever, verse 14 is true for us, in whom we have redemption. Not past tense, present tense, future tense, forever tense. We forever have redemption because Jesus lives and reigns. Forgiveness for sins. Christians recognize their station before God. One they did not deserve, one they did not earn, one that has been granted to them by grace, and one that is marked by forgiveness now and forevermore. Yes, you will still sin as a Christian. I get that. You will never be sinless. Not on this life. I get that. But over the course of you being filled up with the knowledge of God, growing in wisdom, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, you will recognize that although you might not be sinless, you absolutely will sin less. And that every time you do fall, because you will, you can look to God and you can look to Christ, his beloved son, the one who has changed you and transformed you and is at work in you. And you can remember that redemption wasn't a one-time thing. It is on your life. It is for you forever. Will not change. Those who belong to him will belong to him 
forever. That forgiveness is yours. And so in the spirit of truth, of true knowledge of Christ and a true desire to walk worthy of him, those who love him live in repentance, not just once for salvation, but in a lifetime, in a way that would honor him and reflect that they understand, that they know that they already are forgiven. And that gives us all the more reason to praise him. If you know him, you will praise him. If you know him, you will live for him. And those who live for him will never be disappointed. Father, thank you for your grace to us in Christ. Thank you for your word of truth. Thank you for the spirit that makes it known to us. Thank you that the spirit of God is at work in the heart of man that we might behold the will of the Father, that which is bound up in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That the mercy we've received in Him, we would recognize as something we could not gain, we could not merit, we could not earn. And so because of that, we turn to you in praise, confessing our every sin, recognizing our fallenness, recognizing that over and over again we fall short of glory. But glory has come to us in the person and work of Christ. And now in Him we are forgiven so that as we continue to know You and Your truth, we would walk in a manner worthy of You. God, help us in this. Be our strength and be our guide. In Christ's name, amen.